Father, we thank you today that you are worthy of our gratitude. We thank you that you are a good God who is worthy of our praise. I pray that you um, would just come today, Holy Spirit, that you would fall in this place, that we would, you would fill us with more of your presence. I pray that you would make the words of Scripture come alive today, that, Father, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So, Father, we pray that you would come and speak in this place, um, that we could be more like you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. I was kind of laughing because Holden was like, did I remember everything? I was like, I don't know. I'm seven months pregnant. Did you? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm just glad to have a sermon and be standing here today. No, it's good. Um, so I was thinking this week as I was kind of trying to come up with an illustration to kind of kick us off for this sermon, and I was thinking about a coworker of mine when I worked at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and her name was Abby, and Abby was great, ton of fun, loved working with her. And I remember one day our offices um, shared a wall, like our, our desks were kind of on the same wall, and so we could kind of hear everything that was going on in each other's office all the time, and all of a sudden I hear like, Steph, get in here, I can't believe what I just did, come help me right now. So you know, I'm like running over there and I'm like, what happened? She said, well, I was res- trying to forward an email to our boss about the maintenance, the head of maintenance, who was kind of notoriously difficult to get along with because he was very thrifty. And she said, I replied to the email instead of forwarding it, and in it I said how ridiculous he was to our boss, but it didn't go to our boss. And she was like, I was a little more tech savvy. She's like, make it come back. I was like, I can't. (laughs) So we stood and we, you know, authored a new email apologizing and explaining that we are frustrated and, you know, you know, trying to kind of um, make this right, right? And we've, we've all had those moments when you do something or you say something or something happens and immediately there's just a pit in your stomach right? That moment when you would go back in time and turn back time if you could at all. Just do one thing a little different. Maybe take back some ugly words that you said to someone. Maybe retract the email. If you're like me this week, maybe slow down and pay better attention while you're driving. You can hear that story later. Um, Maybe you wouldn't send the email or the text that you sent. Or maybe you would just like the opportunity to make a different decision to do something just a little bit differently. And now you can't stop thinking about it. That, that moment just keeps replaying in all of its horror in your mind. Shame and frustration just wash over you every time you think about, I've got to see that person, or I've got to try and make the situation right, and I, I don't know what to do. Maybe anger bubbles up in you because you're so frustrated that you want to blame someone, so why did they do that thing that made me respond in that way, right? We all know that feeling of like, I just want to push eject. I just want to get out of this moment. I just want the bad feelings to stop. I just want things to go back to the way they were before when things felt better and I didn't have all these bad feelings. Maybe for you, it's something even more habitual than just like that one moment. Maybe you wished you hadn't clicked on that website again. Maybe you wish you hadn't told that one lie that's now made you tell a bunch of other lies to cover up what you said or did. Maybe you wish you and your boyfriend or girlfriend hadn't put yourself in that position alone late at night where you violated your boundaries and you just wish you could go back in time. 
Maybe you wish you hadn't sent that first text or DM to your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend when you were mad at your spouse. Or maybe you wish you could just go back to the moment when bitterness and unforgiveness started in your heart. When that first thought of, I can't believe they did that to me, kind of took root. And now you've watered that seed, and you've fed it, and now it feels like the ugliness just won't stop. I can't forgive. I can't move past the bitterness. And so you wish you could just go back to that initial moment. Now imagine that there was a process that you could undertake. I'm very concrete. I'm very literal. Like, just imagine if there were specific steps that if you just did these, like, ten things, you would completely eliminate your guilt and complicity. The process would offer forgiveness, even for things you didn't even know you had done, right? Because sometimes even in these situations, there's stuff we don't even realize. You know, if we, if we get to have a conversation, all of a sudden you realize, like, oh, there were more things going on than I even realized. But if you did this process, everything would be forgiven and forgotten. Over done with, never to be thought of or worried about again. Not even the smallest bit of shame would remain. You could think of that thing like anything else, right? Imagine if that were the case, the relief that you would feel, maybe even the anticipation that you would feel knowing that that process was coming, that this moment was coming in which you could be completely forgiven, everything could be forgotten, you could just move on. Turn with me to Leviticus 16. The Hebrew people had such a process, and we're going to look at it today. It's the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. And at the start of this, I want to credit the Bible Project, because they, <laughs> I started listening to a couple things this week, and it was a big mistake. I then spent the rest of my week trying to, like, sift down to what I was going to talk about, because there is so much about this day and Scripture and how it all interacts. So if you want to just deep dive on the Day of Atonement and all the things... There's a video on Leviticus, there's a podcast on the Day of Atonement, there's a Q&A, so you can see all the details and all the biblical patterns, and um, it's, it's really fascinating and so challenging. Now, Leviticus is the center of the Torah, and the Torah are the five books of law that the Lord gave to Moses. And so we're in the middle book, and we're in the middle of that book, okay? So the significance here is that this is the center of the center, this is significant, even the placement of what it is. And that is not a surprise. I want to read a quote. I think it'll be up on the screen. Yeah, there we go. Um, from Jay Sklar. He's a um, commentator on Leviticus. And he says, This emphasis is no surprise. This is the day on which people's sins and impurities were cleansed and removed so that they could continue in covenant fellowship with their holy Lord. Those who did not observe this day were denying either the Lord's holy hatred of sin or their desperate need of his cleansing and forgiveness, or both. Either way, they were fundamentally rejecting their covenant Lord and their need for him. But those who did observe this day could rest assured that the Lord had cleansed them fully. There's that full forgiveness, that full taking away of everything. The holy God who is offended by sin is also the compassionate and gracious God who delights to cleanse and forgive it. And so, you know, at the surface, as I started looking at this, I was like, man, this day is like kind of a bummer. Like, we're literally just talking about all of our unconfessed and undealt with sin. And at the end of it, I realized, but there is such grace here, that this is the good news, that there can be forgiveness, and that God delights in that. 
So let's turn to verse 1 of Leviticus 16, and we'll kind of look at a little bit of what happens here. So the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons, who died after they entered the Lord's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. Okay, so God is not messing around. This is also where I couldn't find any proof that this actually ever happened, but there's kind of like oral tradition that high priests used to tie a rope around their ankle so that they would, when they would go into the Holy of Holies and if they died because they hadn't done everything right and God, like they died in the presence of God because of the sin still in their life, they could get them out. Because like nobody's going in there after them, right? Like if, if the high priest wasn't good enough to be in the presence of God, I'm certainly not going to go in and, and get him out. So I can't find any proof they actually did that, but it's kind of oral tradition that they would do that so they could like get them out. The Lord said to Moses, warn your brother Aaron not to enter the holy, most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. So it seems like before there was some of that happening, like they could kind of go in, the high priest could go in until Aaron's sons had violated that. If he does, he will die. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement, is there, and I myself am present above the atonement cover. When Aaron enters the sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put on his linen tunic and the linen undergarments were next to his body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist and put the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments. So first he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. Aaron must take from the community of Israel two male goats for a one sin offering. We'll come back to that, but that's important. And a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron will present his bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. Then he must take the two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. Aaron will then present as a sin offering the goat chosen by a lot for the Lord. The other goat, the scapegoat, chosen by lot to be sent away, will be kept alive standing before the Lord. When it is sent away to Azazel in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. Now, we're modern people, right? And, and I don't know about you, but I'm honestly a little bit grossed out about the idea of animal sacrifice and blood flying everywhere. Right? Like One of the questions someone asked was, how do they clean up the blood? like on this podcast and they were like well the, the blood was what was purifying you know and so I'm like okay that's a weird that's a weird thing and I think it's hard for us to understand because we live in a culture where we do everything to protect ourselves from blood right like if you're a nurse or you work in a vet clinic you use gloves you may wear eye protectors you wear a mask right we do everything we can to not encounter anyone else's blood or any animal's blood And yet we find here in Leviticus that the blood of blameless animals is the only route for the Hebrew people to be purified of their sins, okay? And and that's not even getting us as Americans started on the idea of killing innocent animals, right? Like, are you serious? Like, that is a bridge too far. We cannot fathom such a horrible reality, unless maybe you grew up in South Dakota like I did, and then it's a little different, so. Um, So... We kind of see this, this, these detailed instructions for all these things, from what Aaron's supposed to wear, how he's supposed to wash before he puts them on, and then all these animals. But the part I really want to focus in on this morning is the two goats. And the two goats are, one of the most important things we need to understand is the two goats are one offering. They're two parts of the same offering. So let's look at verses 20 through 26. 
We've already seen that the blameless goat, and, and what he did was he brought the two goats in, and then he basically cast, like, holy dice. It says sacred lots. So basically, there's, like, these special dice. They throw them. Okay, this is the one that's going to get sacrificed. It's blameless. This is the one that's going to get sent out into the wilderness. And we've already seen that the one has been sacrificed and that the, in the most holy place where God's presence dwell, which also represents the Garden of Eden, that's where the blameless goat is sacrificed. So there's kind of two parts we're looking at this offering, the sacrifice and the elimination. So in verse 20 it says, When Aaron has finished purifying the most holy place and the tabernacle and the altar, he must present the live goat. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of a goat. Then a man, specially chosen for the task, will drive the goat out into the wilderness. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. When Aaron goes back into the tabernacle, he takes off all the linen garments that he was wearing when he entered the holy place, and he must leave the garments there. Then he must bathe himself with water in a sacred place, put on his regular garments, and go out to sacrifice a burnt offering for himself and a burnt offering for the people. Through this process, he will purify himself and the people, making them right with the Lord. He must then burn all the fat of the sin offering on the altar— Now the man chosen to drive the scapegoat into the wilderness of Azazel must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and then he can come back into the camp. So, um, and one of them, just as a side note, the scapegoat, when we talk about a scapegoat even now, this is where that word originates. It's this this person that is blamed, this goat that is blamed. All the sins of all the people are put on him. And so that's where we get the word scapegoat today. And like I said, one of the first things that we need to kind of wrap our minds around is that this is just one singular offering. That what's needed on this Day of Atonement is forgiveness through a blameless offering for sin that can be presented to God in the Holy of Holies, because we can't send the sinful goat into the Holy of Holies. God can't bear to have sin in his presence. And then we need an elimination ritual that shows that sin and impurity must be removed from the presence of God and his people. And I think this can be a difficult thing for us to grasp because we view sin as more of something that is personal than corporate. And that coupled with the forgiveness that we're offered from Jesus can make this whole process seem like just some really weird and difficult hoops to jump through, right? Like you have to kill this animal and this animal and wash and put these garments on and then take these garments off and then wash and then sacrifice this thing, right? There's all these steps. But the Day of Atonement was truly something to celebrate and to look forward to because while there were sacrifices that you could offer throughout the year if you sinned, this was a day when the entire community came together, fasted and repented and followed these rituals so that they could be forgiven of all undealt with sins, areas of unrepentance and sins they weren't even aware that they had committed. This was the day that kind of just took it all and did away with it all. Now at this time, the presence of God dwells in the Holy of Holies at the tabernacle, and the reasons for all these steps is to make sure that no impurity or sin entered into the presence of God. And the Day of Atonement was almost like, they were kind of describing it, I was picturing like, this is the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, the people are living outside the tabernacle, right, in their tents, and just in the going about of their daily lives, of the things they did and said, 
the amount of sin throughout the year just keeps rising, right? Personally and corporately, there's just more and more sin. And the idea was almost like we don't want that tidal wave of sin to wash into the Holy of Holies where God's presence is. We want to cleanse. So every year we're going to ritually cleanse and clear and kind of set everything back to ground zero again, right? It's just this interesting thing. And even they talk about how later on in the Old Testament, they don't do this. They don't deal with their sin. And eventually God withdraws his presence from them. And other nations come in and, and take them away. Because God, especially in the Old Testament, but always is the author and the source of life. And so where God is, there is life. And where God isn't, there is death, right? So um, I think that this idea of sending, of putting all the sin on this goat and sending it away is actually a truer picture of how our sin affects us today than how we view our sin. That there is a need for our sin to be dealt with, to be eliminated. Even as the people of Jesus, we still need our sin to be dealt with, that ongoing sin that just kind of creeps in. Our sin unknown and known not only limits our ability to be in relationship with other people and to be connected with them, it also affects our relationship with our Father. Sometimes our sin just distracts us. It keeps us from seeing God clearly, from hearing his voice, from doing what he asks. Sometimes it might make us feel distant, like almost like there's like we're surrounded by fog or cotton and we just can't like hear God's voice or we can't like get to him or figure out what's wrong. Sometimes it dampens our effectiveness. We're trying to to do ministry or we're trying to do what we feel like God has called us to, but we just kind of can't ever get over that hurdle, that sin that's kind of just always there, that kind of is, is keeping us from fully living into what God has called us to. And sometimes when we willfully pursue our sin and we just, God calls us to repentance and we won't respond and we just keep chasing after it and we keep um, pursuing it and refuse his invitation to repent, we can be disqualified from ministry for a season. There may be a season where we have to step back and really deal with what's going on in our life. Unacknowledged sin, both unknown and known, can distract, deceive, distance, dampen, and disqualify, but it is never neutral or harmless. Our sin is never neutral or harmless. Our sin, both corporate and personal, is like toxic waste that pollutes everyone and everything around it. That goat being driven out into the desert wasn't just a poor animal to be pitied. It wasn't like, oh, the poor goat, he can't eat or drink water and he's going into the desert, right? But according to scholar Roy Gaines in his book, um, Cult and Character, in which he talks about the Day of Atonement, he says, no part of this living goat is offered to Yahweh. This is not a sacrifice. It's an elimination ritual. The biblical prescription does not call for the death of this goat, It is simply sent away, and I love this, as a ritual garbage truck carrying controlled toxic waste to Azazel. Now, as a side note, in in NLT, it it makes it sound like Azazel is more of a place. Um, Some scholars would argue that it's maybe more of a spiritual being. Um, And so there's not a unanimous consensus on who Azazel is, but one theory is that's a supernatural being, but, and it's being sent to him. It's, he's like another, it's another name for like Satan or Lucifer or the evil one or the snake. There's all these different. Um, but Azazel is present in the desert regions in contrast to God who is present in the tabernacle. And the fact that Yahweh commands the living goat to be sent to him makes it appear that they're enemies. Like this is basically the equivalent of leaving nuclear waste on someone's doorstep, right? Like, 
<laughs> they were kind of joking on the podcast, like, I can't remember what movie it is where they have piles of dog poo and they start them on fire and leave them on people's doorstep. And the one guy was like, is that what it's like? And the other one was like, well, more like nuclear waste. <laughs> so either way, it is not a kind sentiment to kind of leave this. And we think that part of the reason there's not a lot that we know about Azazel is that God, Yahweh didn't want people honoring him or worshiping him. So there's, he's just not mentioned. Like, let's not, because let's be honest, even in our day and age, right, like there is an obsession with darkness. There's an obsession with dark powers. There's an obsession with tarot cards and horoscopes and fortune telling. And, and there's so much, I think, especially for younger generations, there's so much curiosity around that. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, but you kind of, you have a taste for, I want to know what maybe the future holds, or I want to be in connection with something bigger than me, how do you do that? You do that through ways that are not of God. You do those through evil ways instead of through holy ways. And so we do those through horoscopes and tarot cards and fortune telling. We try to get in touch with those things. And so Yahweh, knowing people and their frailty, just doesn't even get into it. He doesn't want to give them something to be you know, what's out there in the desert, and should we be worshiping that instead of Yahweh, that kind of thing. So let's uh, continue to look at this pattern of the two goats as seen throughout the Old Testament, and then we'll jump to the New, and it starts with Cain and Abel. So in Genesis 4, we see that Adam and Eve um, have two sons. They have Cain, and then they have Abel, and as they grew, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground and, and, and raised crops. And so the time comes for them for harvest, and it comes for them to make a sacrifice. And so Cain presents some of his crops to the Lord, and Abel also brings a gift, portion, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. So the Lord accepts Abel and his gift, but he doesn't accept Cain and his gift. And this makes Cain angry. And so the Lord says to him in verse 6, Why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. So in verse 8, Cain suggests to his brother, let's go out to the fields. And while they're in the fields, Cain attacks his brother Abel and kills him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, responded Cain. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. And Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You've made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, no, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So as I said earlier, the Garden of Eden is where God's presence is. East of Eden is where God's presence is not. And so we kind of see this idea again of these two brothers, one innocent, blameless, righteous. He's killed. His blood is spilt and this other brother being driven out into the wilderness, away from God, the presence of God, away from his family, away from people. Moving forward, we see an Abraham's son, Ishmael, the son of Abraham's unbelief, sent out into the wilderness. And Isaac, the son of promise, he's asked to sacrifice. God says, will you sacrifice him? And then in the end, God provides a ram so he doesn't have to. 
even Isaac's twin sons, Jacob and Esau. When Esau was born, his mother calls him hairy, and it literally means like goatee, like goatee hair, right? Jacob, who was the younger son, becomes the chosen son, and Esau marries a Canaanite woman and lives apart from his family. He's sent out to the east. So we kind of see this pattern in scripture. But let's fast forward now to the most important example of two goats. We come to the New Testament, we come to the Gospels, and we see two men who are being tried. Jesus Barabbas, which means Jesus, son of the Father, and Jesus of Nazareth. One is guilty, and one is innocent. The masses demand the release of the guilty one, while the innocent one is killed. The innocent one is sacrificed, but here is where Jesus accomplishes what only he could do, and what we can only picture with two goats. Because Jesus lives and dies, he lives a blameless life and dies a blameless death to atone for our sins. But he is also taken outside the gates of the city. He's driven out. And he dies in a place of death. So while we needed two goats to kind of picture this idea of atonement and elimination, Jesus takes them both on himself. And some traditions would even say that Jesus then went to meet the evil one. So it just depends on what tradition you're from and how far you want to take that in the time in those three days. But Jesus is the only one who could be blameless and bear the weight of our sins, resulting in our atonement once and for all. Now, the author of Hebrews has a lot to say about this. I just picked two passages that I want to look at today. And the first is Hebrews 10, verses 8 through 10. And it says, First Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, Look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. No more yearly ritual, no more 10-step process. In Jesus, it is done. In Hebrews 9, 13 through 15, it says, Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins that they had committed under that first covenant. Friends, this is the good news. This is worthy of celebration. This is worthy of the best and biggest party. We can be free. We can be forgiven. We don't have a 10-step process that requires us to sacrifice animals and throw blood around and have a mediator or a high priest. We are no longer slaves and orphans, but are friends with our Savior and the sons and daughter of the one who created us. We can approach his throne of grace with confidence. But here's the catch. We still have to say yes to Jesus. The amazing truth of the grace offered to us is that we have to repent and believe, and that's an event and a process. We say yes to Jesus and enter into covenant with him, but he wants so much more from us than just that initial yes. 
He wants transformation. He wants disciples. He wants spirit-filled followers who overflow with joy and hope and love and truth. He wants us to be willing to be sacrificed with Christ so that we can truly live like him. So my question for you today, if you're sitting here and you just haven't been able to bring yourself to say yes to Jesus, what's keeping you from that yes? Is it that you need more information? If that's the case, we'd love to support you on that journey. We'd love to hear your questions. We'd love to engage with you on that. And there's other people in our spiritual family who would love to do that. Is it that you've been hurt by church or church people? We would love to hear your story. We'd love to pray with you. We would love to see the Lord bring healing to that trauma. We'd love for you to hear God's voice apart from the past baggage that you carry. Is it that you just aren't ready to submit your life? Going to be honest, following Jesus isn't easy, but it is rich and full and completely worthwhile. I'd beg with you this morning to give him a chance to show you a better way. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus sitting here on another Sunday and the sermon feels like it's washing over you. Are you distracted by your sin? Are you deceived by your sin into doubting God's character? Do you feel distant from God? Do you feel like maybe your effectiveness has been dampened by ongoing sin that you haven't confessed? Maybe you haven't confessed it because you're fearful of disqualification and that's kept you from coming forward. The good news is that you don't have to do an animal sacrifice or wait until next year when Yom Kippur rolls around in early October to repent and be forgiven. Friends, today is the day for repentance and reconciliation with a father who so deeply loves you. He sent his only son to die and pay the penalty for your sins, for my sins, for our sins, so that we could be free, truly free. Not free to continue to pursue our sin, but free to pursue life and life to the fullest in a relationship with a father who knows us deeply and yet loves us. And this relationship, it starts in this life, but it will continue into an eternal celebration. Jenna's going to come now and do our response time. All right, um, so here at Regen, we do response time because we not only want to hear the good news, but we want to be transformed by it. Um, So we just take a couple minutes to spend with the Father um, and um, just see what he's highlighting for us. So my um, questions for you today is, um, as we take a minute, um, ask the Father um, what he has to say to you this morning. Um, Maybe for some of us, like, what is stopping us um, from approaching him with a, a particular sin? Um, Or maybe for others, it's just asking the Father to reveal um, what sins um, that we have buried deep that we're not even really aware of um, and and what we need to do to um, bring that to him. So we'll just take a couple minutes here.
Father, we repent of our sin. We repent that we are sinful in our nature. But we thank you, Jesus, that you have sacrificed yourself, that you have dressed us in robes of white, that we may come before you, that because of your sacrifice, we don't have to be high priest to go into the Holy of Holies, that we can stand in your presence. So Lord, um, we pray your forgiveness over us. We thank you that you do forgive us. We thank you that you love us and that you have made us holy. In your loving and precious name we pray. Amen.